0: Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I am Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Thank you so much for listening. As you may know, Talk About Talk focuses on all things communication related. For example, recently we covered language, using our voices, body language, and why people talk. Today we are focusing on PR or public relations. This is a slightly different take on communications for us. In this episode, we're focused on an industry that is directed at communications. So listen in for insights that will make you a savvier consumer of marketplace communication. Here goes. First, as always, definitions. Public relations, or PR, is the communication regarding or on behalf of an institution, such as a brand, an individual, a government, and so on. It seeks to inform and favorably influence the public, customers, investors, partners, employees, and other stakeholders. Depending on the organization, PR can be done informally or more formally by a department or a person within a firm, or it can be hired out to an external PR agency. The more research I did about PR, the clearer it became that the line between marketing and PR is very grey. Marketing includes the four Ps, product, price, place, and promotion, and is typically focused on the end consumer, but not always. For many of us, when we think of PR on the other hand, we think of press releases. Yes, PR is focused on journalists, but it's also focused on investors, internal corporate communications, speech writing, and other communications. Decades ago, the distinction between marketing and PR was probably more evident. Marketing used media such as TV, print, and outdoor, while PR wrote press releases for journalists. You could think of it in terms of paid media... And earned media. Simply put, marketing looked after the paid media and PR sought earned media. But now, both marketers and PR managers are using social media, and social media can be paid or earned, right? In one report that I found, they stated that traditionally PR focused on safeguarding the brand's reputation, while marketing concentrated on boosting sales. Today, PR and marketing Collide, overlap, and intertwine. Either PR or marketing may handle social media, manage a company's blog, or submit guest posts. This probably doesn't really matter to you in the big picture for us in improving our communication skills. But as a savvy consumer, you can now confidently interject into a conversation about PR and what PR professionals do. Moving on then, we know that PR managers focus on journalists, investors, and internal corporate communications. As you will hear from our guest, Graham Harris, there are both proactive and reactive duties. Proactive things to follow include earnings reports, HR or human resources announcements, new product launches, and so on. More reactive things are when surprise good news can be amplified, or more typically, disaster or crisis management. PR gets to come in and clean up the mess. This, by the way, is where PR folks sometimes get labeled as spin doctors. Like any profession, there are the good guys and the bad guys. And sometimes even the good guys get carried away. Anyway, imagine all of the different types of things that PR managers get to manage. There are the marketing or advertising gaffes, manufacturing and sourcing woes, complaints about price gouging. I could go on and on. Organizations often turn to PR professionals for crisis management. These crises are fascinating to watch as they unfold. There's how the organization fixes the problem, how the public and investors respond, and then what the organization says, what they communicate about it, and how. You may recall the infamous Tylenol poisonings in the 1980s. In 2008, there was Maple Leaf Foods Listeria outbreak. In 2010, there was the BP oil spill disaster. And in 2015, there was the Volkswagen emissions scandal. You may remember a few years ago in 2016. Remember the exploding batteries in the Samsung phones? That was interesting to watch. More recently, Chinese tech giant Huawei has been hit with negative headlines, including accusations of trade secret theft and the arrest of one of its executives in Canada. Then, of course, there are the many PR folks hired in desperation by Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Matt Lauer, Kevin Spacey, and all their friends. It seems there are many, many things to keep PR professionals busy. Apart from crisis management, PR also works together with marketing on cause marketing or purpose-driven marketing. You can probably guess what this is. It could be aligning your brand with a relevant cause or even with another not-for-profit organization, like Uber with MAD or Mothers Against Drug Driving. Or last year, when Anheuser-Busch turned off its beer taps to fill its cans with water to help the communities in the Carolinas affected by Hurricane Florence. Nice. It makes sense, right? It's smart marketing. Especially nowadays, when people seem to be more focused on values and ethics. Or at least, they're talking about them more. PR and marketing can work together to create a positive halo by aligning their brand with a positive and relevant cause. This is not a slam dunk, though. Consider Nike's adoption of NFL player Colin Kaepernick as an ambassador. Kaepernick took the knee during the national anthem in protest of racial injustice in the U.S. This was incredibly controversial. Many consumers started to hashtag boycott Nike. President Trump even piped in, tweeting, Nike is getting absolutely killed with anger and boycotts. Hmm. Well, it turns out that was fake news. Nike actually benefited from the valuable free publicity it got, its online sales quickly saw a rise, and its stock hit a record high. More recently, there are the Gillette ads. Have you seen them? I've posted them on the show notes. P&G's brand, Gillette, decided to shift its focus away from the best a man can get to the best a man can be, encouraging men to ward off toxic masculinity. Part of the public relations response includes a Forbes magazine interview with one of the P&G vice presidents. Fascinating. Our guest for today's podcast, PR professional Graham Harris, has a lot to say about these Nike and Gillette campaigns. But I interviewed Graham for this episode a few months ago. So he just emailed me with his comments. Let me read them to you. The recent Gillette ad is a good example of cause marketing and the coordination of marketing and public relations, Marketing clearly developed the creative to cause a stir in the marketplace. Public relations ensured that the news media created stories about the ad's message and controversial properties to broaden the audience who may not have otherwise seen the ad without the news and social media channels. It's clearly a business move to drive sales, as Nike apparently saw a 6% increase in sales following its ad featuring Colin Kaepernick, which was also controversial. It's always a gamble, with a company's reputation on the line. However, these types of campaigns fade over time, whereas a true crisis stays in the public consciousness, such as Tylenol and hashtag MeToo. Well, Graham, I suppose it is good that the true crises stay in our consciousness, right? Let me introduce Graham to you now. Graham Harris is the former Vice President Public Relations at Manulife, where he was responsible for media relations, issues management, and crisis communication planning and execution. Newly retired, Graham is now focusing on issues and public policy developments facing communications practitioners and advising select CEOs and chief communications officers on the efficacy of their communications teams, strategies, and practice. This is some of the fun stuff that we will get in today. Let me go off script for a second and just say Graham is one of those supposedly retired gurus whose immense experience and expertise keeps getting him pulled back in. You'll see what I mean. Okay, back to the script. Amongst other things, Graham has earned a BA from Queen's University, a Bachelor of Applied Arts in Journalism from Ryerson University, and a certificate from the Université de Paris at Sorbonne. He is a former journalist and he has lived in Montreal and Toronto, He has also been based in Paris and Kiev, and he's even worked as a media advisor for UNESCO. He has more than 30 years' experience in senior corporate communications positions at UBS, AG, RBC, and BMO Financial Group. On top of all this, Graham is a good guy. He has served on a number of not-for-profit boards, including Canada's National Magazine Award Foundation, the Red Door Shelter, and the Glenn Gould Foundation Gala. Welcome, Graham, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Let me start with a confession. As a marketer myself, I have noticed in multiple contexts that a lot of people assume that PR is a subset of marketing, and therefore, as a marketer, I should know what PR is, and I should be able to do it. The truth is, I've never really done PR, and I don't know much more than the basics. So, Graham, now is my chance to learn. Can you define PR, please, and tell us specifically how it's different from a typical marketing function in an organization?
1: Sure. I mean, PR, public relations, or it's called public affairs, or it's called corporate communications, it really depends on how it's being applied. And it's often perceived as a form of marketing because it promotes the brands and products of the company. So it, that, but that is only part of the role. Uh, it's called public relations because it deals with publics or stakeholders. It's not dealing strictly with customers, which is what marketing does. Right. So, you know, properly designed, PR also includes internal communications so that internal and external communications are aligned. And I've always said that external communications is internal communications because your employees read the news or participate in social media.
0: I agree. I agree 100%. It's when everything's integrated, it works better and it's easier to keep track of The facts when they're all consistent, right? Right. So let me just interject one other question. Is it perhaps more true that marketing is a subset of PR...
1: Uh, could be. I've been in companies where marketing was part of the PR department. Okay. Uh, I think that um, marketing really is more like a subset of the business. I mean, it really, the good marketing is directly connected to the business, and public relations is uh, a client of the business but serves the corporation and uh, and usually ends up reporting to the CEO or to the C-suite, where marketing tends to report through to businesses uh, and, and not in part of the executive branch, if you will. Public relations also deals with the reputation issues that affect a company. So right. when it, you're, you're dealing with the reputation issues of a company, yeah, they're very near and dear to the C-suite uh, because, you know, I've Realize all throughout my career that if I say something wrong to the media and it gets published, I could knock two dollars off the stock, and that 's not something that marketing can do just with one you know comment to uh, a, a journalist because they don 't speak to journalists, but more you know an ad campaign that may have gone awry can get pulled quickly, and then it 's p r that issues the apology right. not marketing so, right. so I, of I feel like
0: both marketing and PR have many stakeholders, but marketing is really focused much more on the end customer or consumer. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, all the other stakeholders matter, but I guess marketing's job is to derive customer insights, leverage them hopefully within the organization, and then stimulate demand externally with them. Exactly. Which seems a lot more focused now that I'm thinking about it that way. It's incredibly focused. And PR, which is dealing with all of the internal and external stakeholders. Yep. Wow. I honestly had not thought of it that way
1: before. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it does. And that's why PR can be more powerful than marketing because we actually create third party advocates in the media and through the media. And a positive story in a major media outlet can generate more awareness and sales than a marketing campaign in some cases. Oh, well, so, I
0: would say the same thing about marketing, right? You can sure. have celebrity endorsers that are paid and then again, if they're not paid, they're even, they have an even bigger impact and they can also drive share price up.
1: Right. But they would only be speaking on your behalf if they were paid by you guys. Not necessarily. Really? You've got a, so, a celebrity who wasn't paid by you and part of a marketing campaign? There are
0: many um, examples where celebrities have, you know, even Oprah has been oh, sure. um, Video without having the company send her the thing and mm-hmm. certainly without them paying her mm-hmm. she will endorse things just because she believes they're fantastic and she wants people to read them or consume them or right and,
1: and this becomes a, a a bone of contention if you will is that was that because of your marketing or was that because of your pr that oprah decided to be a, a an advocate for your product oh. everybody and wants to take credit. everyone wants to take credit um and you know it's sort of oh. like you know, it's the thing with marketing, though, is it is much more precise in being able to measure the impact of what it does versus PR. Okay. You know, So, from that point of view, job security isn't, it just wants to show the value of, of what it is that we do. And also, essentially, other than for uh, expenses, PR is free, where marketing is, except is a for the executives expense.
0: that they're paying internally, right? Or, yeah, but or then the there's
1: marketing. I'm saying it's a wash because marketing has executives, PR of executives. So, okay. if you take out the fixed costs, what does it cost to to do a PR campaign versus a marketing campaign? And a marketing campaign has, has a lot of built-in cost. That's right. Production, do,
0: media, et cetera. Creative right?
1: mm-hmm. uh, and advertising right. buys, all of that stuff. Right.
0: Versus PR is I, I, I just right. I send
1: in a news release and make some phone calls.
0: Right. Okay. So, but even with the internet mm-hmm. and a lot of marketing moving online, I guess that still is true because there's mm-hmm. still the development of... Mm-hmm. Of the program, um, and even the purchasing of online ads.
1: Mm-hmm. It's come so. down in cost, marketing for sure, and it's way more precise. I mean, marketing's come a long, long way, and uh, you know, PR is also more an art than a science, and that's why the metrics are difficult because you know too many CEOs don't grasp, but they are grasp PR because they're primarily interested in things they can control. Of course, and CEOs don't like media because they don't see the company through the same rose-colored glasses. And therefore, negative coverage is seen as destroying shareholder value. To me, negative stories tend to illustrate where the company is not effectively telling its story or where the company is failing its stakeholders. Properly analyzed, this can inform companies to make better decisions and, and, and improve their strategies.
0: Okay, so, so said another way, when something unfortunate happens, mm. not necessarily a crisis, but something... That is
1: regrettable on behalf of the organization. Is that what you're talking about? Well, let's let's go back to, uh, a good example. Is okay. United Airlines breaks guitars? Right. Uh, I don't know if you remember yep. that fiasco. Yep, very well, really well. Well, that's a perfect I'll example. I'll put a link
0: to that up uh, on, in the show notes, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, and that's an example of an incident of customer service against one customer who they broke his guitar in shipping after they promised him profusely that it'd be taken care of, no worries. And they broke his guitar and then they basically did not give him any satisfaction so he decided to do a video that went viral because right. it was a little song he sang and, uh, and then marketing didn't clean that up. PR cleaned it up.
0: Okay. So they're the ones that come to the rescue.
1: They're the ones that fix the messes.
0: Yeah, but marketing didn't cause the issue either. No.
1: <laughs> I feel like I'm defending marketers and marketing It's the business. It's the business. So I didn't say marketing. I'm saying marketing didn't cause the problem. Right. I'm saying marketing couldn't fix it it, uh, unless they went and did an ad campaign, which they eventually do. But the immediate uh, triage is done by PR. And then later, and I've seen it, is that marketing comes in to address the issue uh, on a broader uh, consumer-focused basis to sort of like, you know try to undo that damage to say we've heard we're changing watch it watch us now so So,
0: let's go back to uh, metrics just a little bit before we move mm -hmm. into crisis because there's so many fantastic stories that we can talk about and analyze (laughs) um, in recent and far back Mm -hmm. uh, in history but what are the metrics that I guess the most successful PR managers are
1: nailing the traditional one was how many places did your story appear uh-huh. So how many media outlets did it appear? The idea there is is that you can't draw that direct conclusion that you saw, that everyone who read the Global Mail that day read your story, saw your brand mentioned, and, and took away from it. And so that's why it's real, metrics are difficult in PR, where today in marketing, you know when someone clicks on a banner ad, that's an eyeball, right. and you can you can then draw, and then you can follow the clicks and see if it ends up on a click on a sale.
0: So when most of marketing was... Offline, marketing had the same challenges challenges in terms of measuring its reach, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, as PR did. But now that more advertising is online, and we're talking paid for explicit advertising, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You're right. It is much easier with the exception, I think, of videos and advertising that happen Mm -hmm. um, within shows that are online, Mm -hmm. that are streaming online because people are... Often fast forwarding th- yes. through the videos, but that's an aside, right?
1: Yeah, well, I also thought about that too. I'm saying that even if when I'm fast forwarding, I'm seeing the brand. That's true. It's almost subliminal then because that's as true. I'm zooming through the brand, I see it, right? It, could it, be it hits me. It and could I don't be. know why they don't, marketers or advertisers, don't design their ads so that when do, people do fast forward, the brand just comes through better.
0: Oh, that's a fantastic idea. Can you imagine if there was like, watch it slow and then watch it fast? Yeah. You're fully engaging with the medium and the brand. I yeah. love it. Yeah. We could sell that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Look what happens when PR and marketing work together.
1: Yeah, And so, that's to say, I, you know, I think that PR and marketing have to be aligned because right. in many respects, the process is the business comes up with a product, just to use a product example. And then it's marketing comes to figure out the campaign to sell it. And then PR is brought in to say, okay, I'm going to look at the campaign. I'm going to look at the product. I'm going to figure out how to sell it from a PR perspective. But And, and then I, I will use elements of marketing. You know, What do they say? Well, we want to highlight this, this, and this about the product mm-hmm. because we think those are the selling points where the people who develop the product, no, it's just my product, Where you go. And so I look at those and if I can work them, I do. So-
0: there, th- that reminds me of a project that I was working on starting about 10 years ago, which I still have thought about in the back of my mind. I think, I think there's some legs to this. I called it meta marketing, and the idea was marketing about marketing. So you create a campaign, whether it's newfangled like this, potentially this fast forwarding for online streaming, or whatever it is, and then you have—I called it marketing about the marketing, but it could be PR about the marketing mm-hmm. story. So you get a double whammy, and then I was. Uh, there, there are many examples, and actually, if you think about. A kind of easy one to get your head around would be Super Bowl ads, right? Because there's the ad, but then there's all the
1: hoopla about the ad. And that's really PR, Yes, isn't it? If, if there's very little news value in the product because we're late to market, or we're last to market, and, but the campaign is kind of neat, I would definitely uh, use um, Strategy Magazine uh, to promote the campaign, to say this is what we're doing with this product. Right, And because if it was good creative, then they'll cover it. Right, Even though the product is last to market.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. You find a story somewhere.
1: That's our job.
0: So do you have anything to say about
1: newsworthiness? What you pitch as a PR person is your credibility, because you're going to be dealing with the same set of people for a certain period of time. And if you send them stuff that they're not interested in and is not good, they're going to stop taking your calls. Right. They're going to you lose credibility. You lose a ton of credibility.
0: Okay.
1: And and I have many fights with uh with with the businesses uh, about uh you know the newsworthiness of what they want us to promote. We're last to market. It's inferior to other offerings out there. Uh, and we're just going to damage our credibility by trying to say that this is the best thing since sliced bread. So we shouldn't say it.
0: There needs to be a different story. Yeah. If anything at all.
1: Yeah. And 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 if and if properly organized. PR should be at the strategy and business development table, so that when they're saying we got this product, and I can say you're last to market, it's inferior to what's out there. Can you at least put some feature in there that I can hang my hat on? Right. And marketing is usually on side of that too, because you know they they still want to be able to promote something that is better than what's out
0: there. I think that definitely applies. So we touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious how you would answer this question: when times
1: are good. What do effective PR managers do? Well, typically we're building relationships and constantly telling the company's story to build brand and awareness and reputation factors. So, you know, we're scanners and that's why a lot of PR departments are the one who are running social now.
0: So so they're scanning for yeah. trends or changes in, in uh, the valence of the general feedback that they're getting or the input, I guess, that they're getting across yep. various social media platforms.
1: Yep. And so that's what good PR managers are doing when
0: times are good.
1: They're the ones that are watching to see if something is is going off the rails and try to stop it before it happens. Right. And Uh, at the same time, time,
0: forming the stories. Yeah. And telling
1: the stories and looking at new ways to tell the stories because uh, they're constantly, uh, you know, no business is stationary. If they are, they won't last for long. So new developments, new appointments of executives, executives. Uh, new boards of directors and then there's the constant cyclical stuff like earnings that we do as well so we're, uh, we're constantly have the cyclical things that are always repeat themselves okay. and then new product announcements new changes and, uh, and enhancements
0: so it's both reactive and proactive
1: correct yeah
0: huh. can you tell us about a favorite campaign that you either designed or were involved in
1: hmm I'll try to do one that sort of is strategic everything I did uh, I always developed a strategy first and then you know, thought about the best tactics to come out of it. So one good example was um, when I was at Manulife and the company was joining the 21st century and modernizing life insurance because they're actually using AI and, and, and big data to actually do things that actuaries would spend days in, 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 in you know, windowless rooms, crunching numbers to come out with this stuff. So we were looking at um, this modernizing of insurance, and this included things such as no longer needing a physical or providing fluids to get life insurance. So uh, this basically became the ability to underwrite people with HIV because it was considered a chronic disease, not a fatal one. Right. And so we were, we were developing the announcement of this HIV capability of underwriting, and I felt that this would get a lot of positive support in that community of people who uh, were suffering from HIV, people who advocated for people with HIV, and the families of people with HIV. Uh, and I said, because we would get positive feedback from the community, let's talk to some advocates in the community to see if they would support us in the news release and the media relations to be our spokespeople so that we're not always just tuning our own horn, right. we've got someone else to do it. Right. And so we contacted some people, and one person said, well, that's very interesting. Uh, I was just speaking to one of your competitors about this subject and so we, we I said ding
0: ding ding, ding. competitive ding. intel thank Thanks. you
1: thank you <laughs> and then we also turned the news release around in 24 hours to get it out so we got first to market
0: <gasps> wow Brilliant. Yeah. so Brilliant. That,
1: What a coup. Yeah. And that was one where... I bet you
0: got a nice pat on the back from the CEO for that one.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> Leader of the business did. Was very happy with that. And it took their competitors six months before they came out with their version of it. But ultimately, I think that we, uh, we ruined their day and uh, they had to rethink how they were doing to this to be competitive. Oh, that's fun.
0: Yeah. And it's all good news, right? I mean, yeah. when you're first to market with good news, it's
1: all the better. Absolutely. And we got, we got great coverage from it. I spent 25% of my time on positive PR, 25% on crisis comms, 25% of my time managing my teams, and 25% educating senior management or talking them off the ledge because something wasn't going the way they wanted it to.
0: So 25% is crisis management. Yeah. Do you ever get superstitious? Like, ooh, I haven't been thinking about crisis management for a while. Something bad's gonna
1: happen. No, you're. uh, It it always happens. I mean, just give me some. I'll give you some examples of when I was at UBS. The chairman of the board of directors of a Canadian wealth management business, who was a senior executive of the bank, had to take the Fifth Amendment before Congress about tax evasion by American clients. Oof. And his boss was a fugitive U.S. justice because he refused to appear before Congress.
0: That has happened. In a few organizations, oh, I, I can think of them right now, I'm not going to say yeah. them, but yeah, yeah. So not that's, an uncommon problem.
1: No, uh, and it's all about bad people beha- behaving badly and the, the consequences on your reputation. Uh, as Warren Buffett said, it takes, uh, takes years to build a reputation and minutes to destroy it. So another example of, of this that I had when I was at RBC... Uh, 15 people of the institutional asset management division were convicted by the OSC for what is called high closing, which is basically artificially raising prices by bidding them up just before the quarter end, so that you know on you know June 30th they all of a sudden they're bidding like you know three pennies more or five pennies more on a stock to have it close at the at the quarter end higher than really what the market was valuing, right. and the next day the market would put it back to where it should right. be. But because they got it to close high, their performance numbers were artificially inflated and, and made it look like they were doing better than they really were. So also, I've heard so many stories in different industries where that
0: happens. It also yep. happens in sales, yep. where, where they will either hold back sales because they've already met a quota and they just need to meet like a quarterly target. And then next quarter, we'll put that one on, on the books and we'll just wait until then because basically they're sandbagging,
1: right? Yep. Yeah, so. yep. and the thing is... But when this stuff becomes public, it the, can be a disaster. And that's why it's called public relations. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one I had was um, when I was at Bank of Montreal, the media started reporting on the new wife of the CEO who described herself in an old Maclean's magazine story as being the pleasure wife of Adnan Khashoggi, the notorious arms dealer. Then, yeah, when he, when he was visiting Paris is where she lived. And this was followed by scantily clad photos of her when she was a model. And it was not a pleasant time for the CEO, as you can imagine. And there was pressure on us in PR to get the media coverage to stop. And, and he went so far as to say the photos are fake. And we're going, um, are you sure? There's Be- so many of them. There's so many of them. <laughs> and they're all taken from, like, McLean's. <laughs> <laughs> From fifteen years ago, because we went and looked at the uh, the microfiche and, and and found copies of. It. Do PR people often go into politics? Uh, yes, they do. They usually go into politics, but as operatives, not right. as running for. That's what office. I meant. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I can't remember uh,
0: helping to run campaigns. Helping to
1: run campaigns. Fascinating. Yeah, and in fact, one of my mentors was the communications advisor to uh, Pierre Trudeau before, and and was actually the first press secretary for Lester B. Pearson. So uh, they all were operatives within politics before they would go into the public sector. Let's get into the juicy stuff. Crisis management. Mm -hmm. So
0: I feel like there must be a playbook for crisis management Mm -hmm. in terms of something happens. Is there a playbook that you would follow when something bad happened?
1: Well, yes. I mean, we develop crisis communications plans, but it's more process than strategy, so in other words, if something happens, it's like the, the head of communications says this is uh, something that needs the attention and we need to gather senior management to make some serious decisions. So they'll basically push the button. There will be everyone's you know, cell phone will go off. They'll be called in a collective conference call. They'll be briefed on what the situation is. And
0: do not answer a phone call from a reporter,
1: right? Too many times they do because they think, A, they think they know, or B, they're trying to be honest and and open and that's not what you necessarily need at that point in time so the playbook is it's a process for getting all of the necessary decision makers in then to approve the strategy for dealing with it and the strategy for dealing with it really depends on what the situation is and you know is is you know like something like maple leafs crisis uh maple leaf foods crisis people were dying so they had to make swift action and they had, to, they had to be open and transparent about it because, you know, they didn't want all of everything that they did just basically to stop and be, you know, thrown out.
0: So in a situation like that, would step one be fix the problem and then step two be tell the media that you're fixing the problem and there's more to come in terms of communication?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And op- which is
0: what they did, right? I yes. I think.
1: They were open and transparent about, yes, we understand this is the steps we are doing. We're not going to do anything until all these steps are done. And, and this is what we believe happened. And this is how we're going to fix it. And and uh, it feels like it's so recent, but it was actually 10 years ago, right? It was yeah.
0: 2008. Yeah. And I was actually working as a professor and I got a phone call from CTV and they wanted to interview me about how McCain handled this. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so I can wear my marketing hat and also my consumer hat, because I had seen it in the news and I had seen they had actually produced advertising, right, to mm-hmm. address it um, from a more integrated media perspective. And my, I'm I'm glad to hear that you thought it was transparent and effective because that's basically what I said. I mm-hmm. said from both a marketing perspective and watching as a consumer, mm-hmm. I think what they've done everything they could do and they've done it right.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. The only thing is, is that you know, the business failed the consumer by how could they let this happen in the first place? This is people, people died. And, and while they did everything they could after they learned it, you, you have to wonder and they, and they had to communicate what they were going to do to make sure this could never, ever happen again because people died And just like Tylenol. That's tylenol exactly
0: what I was thinking. Was, tylenol.
1: They had to throw out an entire inventory. They had to come, develop they a new way. They
0: recalled all Tylenol on the planet, basically.
1: Yeah. And then they also had to develop how can we prevent this again? And and because, like, unlike Maple Leaf, which was an operational issue they could control, Tylenol could not control someone tampering with their product until they developed the tamper proof packaging. It
0: hadn't occurred to any no. of these organizations. And how many to times have tamper proof? I
1: mean, for, for time immemorial, since people have been creating pills and selling them, uh, there were several so twist issue.
0: tops, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so, you know, and then, you know, something like. Um, the other one that uh, we chatted about was, was Harvey Weinstein. Because this was preventable, too. Because, But society and the people in the industry that stood by were enablers of this behavior. and yeah. And uh, also
0: boards. That's the other thing that crosses my mind. It seems to me that perhaps boards of directors were becoming a little bit complacent. As happens. It's inertia, right? We're mm-hmm. doing our job. It's easy. Management's doing great. And whatever the industry is, for-profit, not-for-profit... Hollywood, you know, Bay Street, Wall Street, um, and then something like this happens, and all of a sudden, all the boards are scrambling to ensure that they have best practices in place, that they have a procedure and a manual in case something happens, and then to also do their due diligence to make sure it is, in fact, not happening.
1: And they're also taking action that when it has happened, the guys let go. And you've seen some high profile resignations for bad behavior by CEOs just within the last year so they're acting on it but the the point still says is that I was also appalled when I would read some stories uh, of Canadian companies where the CEO says there's none of that behavior at my company uh, because that's just the beginning of the problem then because the the CEO is is saying there's nothing none of that a problem well how would he know and the answer as a PR guy if I was asked about that is there, is there sexual harassment, you know, institutionalized sexual harassment at your company? And I would say, we have zero tolerance for that. And when it, it happens, we take swift and immediate action. But I would never say, there's none of that in our, our company. It'd be, it, it's absolutely, painfully ridiculous.
0: Beautiful, so you have a script.
1: Yeah, you develop <laughs> your position. And, and we have in PR what we call standby statements or issue sheets. You identify an issue that could possibly hit your company and you come up with how you would respond to it so you don't have to make it up on the fly. So in other words, you know, if, when Harvey Weinstein happened in my company, uh, I would basically be saying, what are we going to say if someone asks us? And then this is how I, I suggest we respond. Yes. Then you send it around to all the senior executive and make sure they sign off and, it's and a agree. it's a
0: two-sentence thing that they memorized, right? They right. commit to memory. If anyone asks, this is the answer. And right. it's logical and, and it's, it's
1: true. true. And, and now with technology, it's online. So if you're at a dinner party and someone asks you that... You can simply quickly okay, okay, this is our position on it, and, 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 uh, and deliver the message. So,
0: in addition to having these standby statements being transparent, mm-hmm. proactive, and strategic, and newsworthy, are there any other basic tenets for PR managers?
1: The best possible situation for a PR person is the truth. Because the truth can't lie. The truth protects you. And the truth uh, is what you really want in the marketplace.
0: So I heard recently that the truth is just so much more easy to keep track of.
1: And that too, <laughs> yeah.
0: So I have I have a bit of a different question here now. Mm. My first rapid fire question is, what is your pet peeve or pet peeves?
1: Um, being in PR so long, I don't let anything get under of my skin because I've seen everything and heard everything. But I guess the one thing that bugs me the most is just poor manners. Poor manners in how you treat people, poor manners and, and your decorum. Uh, that really bugs me. People who don't take the time to be civil and mannered uh, in a situation, that really bugs me.
0: It's disrespectful to others.
1: Yeah, and I guess maybe that's the larger concept is I don't like disrespect. Ah. People showing it and and doing it.
0: Okay, the second question is what type of learner are you? Visual, auditory, kinetic, or perhaps some other kind of learner? Uh, I'm visual. You're visual. Yeah. So how does that affect your communication?
1: What it does is that um, I try to visualize uh, the situation, and then I, I I articulate from it. Okay, introvert or extrovert? Obviously an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> which well. means which means though uh, I am an extrovert, you know. And then some people I'm a shy extrovert, extrovert. But you know, once I once the introductions are done, I'm a pure extrovert. But it also means that I'm also acutely aware that I am draining introverts of their energy and need to behave accordingly, which oh. is another thing about manners. That's
0: very self-aware of you too, right? You're mm-hmm. noticing or you're noticing also you're being empathetic and you're noticing others. Yep. Kudos to you on that one. Fourth question, mm-hmm. communication preference for personal conversation. So I'm not talking about work emails where you need to copy everyone and it needs to be formal. I'm talking about informal. What do you prefer to do? Is it phone? Is it
1: email? Is it social media? Um, Face-to-face is not always practical, but it is the most effective, especially for the ask. If you want asking someone for something, do me a favor, or can you help, would you like to come over? Face-to-face is always best.
0: So you're the one that rings the doorbell?
1: Yeah, I'm the one that (laughs) tries to get in front of them. And, uh, yeah, no, it bugs me that people are only relying on the smallest component of communication uh, for the 90% of their communication. And why
0: do you think they're doing that?
1: Lazy. It's easy. That's
0: what I thought. I just wanted to check. Last question. Do you have a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you recommend the most? Um...
1: It's sort of like picking among your children, uh, you know. So name I, I did. a few, name a few. I, I did. Um, I'm actually, uh, my former boss at Manulife has uh, um, a, a podcast where she's interviewing women leaders and the challenges that they've had and, and how they've overcome them and the successes they've had uh it's by nicole boivin and it's called um leaders unplugged
0: leaders unplugged okay yeah. i'm going to leave a link for that in the yeah. and uh, show then, notes as well
1: and then my other one for, because of my journalist days is malcolm gladwell's revisionist history right. uh, solid journalism entertaining work it's like new york new yorker magazine pieces on podcast but fascinating subject matter that he chooses from
0: right he is a great writer and he's a great storyteller and in yeah. fact he has a great
1: voice yeah, he seems a little nerdy to me, but he is, he's yeah. a
0: complete nerd, a self-described yeah.
1: nerd. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he comes across as nerdy, but uh, his fortunately he relies also on the on the voices of others to uh, to do it. And he's also got a pretty good uh, way of uh, because he's such a good writer. He has a way of describing people
0: in particular and scenes, right? That you can it's, talk about being a visual learner. I mm-hmm. can see the person, or I can see. The setting that he's describing vividly yeah. in my mind
1: right so. and that, yeah exactly that's why I mean I'm visual that way too it's like when you're talking to me about something I will take the words and then create the pictures in my head mm. yeah
0: all right well that's all I have for you how can uh listeners connect with you if you so choose to share get me through LinkedIn they can get you through LinkedIn yep. and you're at Graham Harris
1: yep G-R-A-E-M-E-H-A-R-R-I-S
0: okay two R's one S Yep. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise, and I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too.
1: I had a lot of fun. Okay, thanks. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Graham Harris as much as I did. As I admitted to Graham before we started, I really didn't know much about PR at all. I ended up having a lot of fun interviewing Graham. When we were done, I actually admitted to him that my face hurt from smiling the entire time. A few things that we covered in today's episode that I hope we will remember. First, PR is a lot more than just issuing press releases. PR also encompasses investor relations, internal corporate communications, social media, crisis management, cause marketing, and more. Second, speaking of cause marketing, organizations can benefit greatly by integrating marketing and PR. It can be very powerful when these two functions work closely together. Last, and I think this message is a valuable one, beyond the context of PR, we need to be very careful about our declarations. For example, as Graham mentioned, it is highly risky and sometimes categorically false to declare that something has never and could never happen in an organization. Rather, the statement should be about diligent oversight and processes in place in case something does arise. This may be good advice for all of us to follow in managing our own careers, our possessions, our relationships, and other contexts. We need to be very careful about our declarations. Sometimes bad things do happen. We need to ensure we are on the watch out and we have a plan in place. Now, as always, I thank you so much for listening. I know we are all time crunched, and I am honoured that you spent this time with me and Talk About Talk. I would love to hear what you think about this episode, or, of course, if you have ideas for future episodes, There are so many ways to connect. You can go to our website at talkabouttalk.com. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Or you can email me at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. One last thing. If you have a moment, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate Talk About Talk so you can help us get some traction in this wonderful universe of podcasts. Thank you very much and talk soon. you